This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, let's start with a little bit of good news. Good news Tuesday-ish on this Tuesday night and Wednesday morning with Kat and Surrey. Are you okay with returns of online purchases? What about cats? What do aliens breathe? Greg Fish in the world of weird things help us understand different kinds of planets where breathing hydrogen can keep you alive. And a new report claims Canada could be a new world leader in cancer treatments if governments got out of the way. Louise Binder, health policy consultant for Save Your Skin Foundation, helps us understand the barriers Canadians face province to province and all across Canada in seeking out treatments, in particular for cancer and other conditions, and what that looks like and the hurdles in front of us. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Catherine is in Surrey. Catherine, I'm going to give you some good news before you even give me good news. How about that? Oh, totally. Totally. I'm game. Now, life happens. And uh, you shared with me that, you know, the time of day that you were up, um, you weren't as involved here on the shift. You were uh, still listening to Ben's show and all that stuff. And I had reached out to you and I said, hey, Catherine, you all right over there? And, And you were like, yeah, just life has changed and not listening, you know, at the same time of day back then. But what I didn't tell you, and what I will tell you now in person, because I feel like it's more important to do it this way, is the amount of people that reached out to us, uh, wondering where you were, other shift heads across this country. And then when you did, you know, life allowed you to come back to us and started sharing again. The responses we got from other shift heads in Canada saying, oh, there's Catherine in Surrey. It's nice to hear from her again. So just so you know, not to be forgotten that uh, you do have a touch of influence with everybody as well. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that and whoever said that. And it it means a lot because this war has really been hard on me listening. Yeah, and- you, you do pick that. You do get like as it's your nature. You carry those things with you. Right. I mean, you've you, you've shared that with us and, and it's it's hard. It is hard. Well, I've been going through severe bullying for 10 years where I'm mm-hmm. living. I'm having to make a stand, but that's another mm-hmm. day. Well, and there'll be good news that comes to that too. But this is where Big you can time. see. There's already good news, but that'll be another day. That'll but be another party. day. The, um, the, today, um, the, today. Uh, tell today. me about this person that made a big difference <laughs> on you today with all of the weight that you are carrying. I, I was at a red light. And this lady was walking across the road, and she was doing it really slow because she was scared because she has five little kids. And they're holding umbrellas and dancing across the road. It was beautiful. <laughs> and, and she's like, then, then she saw I was stopping, and I was being so just enamored by her kids, right? Because I had a big, I was just sitting there watching him twirling around with his umbrella. Mm-hmm. And she didn't get mad. You know, it was, you know, you got enough time to go across the light, right? And um, let kids be kids because, you know, the world's gone crazy. And, and when she got right in front of my car, she looked at me and gave me the hugest smile. That's cool. And and I gave her a thumbs up, and I gave her a huge smile. And it, it really, like, a smile has never hit me that hard as it did today. And it, it really did. Simple it's things, good. eh, Catherine? It's the little things. Yeah. 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 
Uh, yeah. Thank you for sharing that good news. It's wonderful to hear your voice again. And uh, I'm not the only one who's thinking that right now. So I wish you good news Tuesday. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with... 877-399-9898. That's our phone number here. You can get that at shiftheads.ca. Absolutely. And share us your thoughts on these stories that might make you ponder a little bit. Are you okay with? Returns. I had a really good experience with a return. Um, I have a nice pair of gaming headphones that are expensive and were a gift. And one part of them broke the connector to make it wireless. I emailed, uh, it's a Corsair is the brand. I emailed their support team and I said, look, the headset's fine. I just need a new dongle. Went through this. They asked clear questions and I was able to get a replacement part. This tiny little part shipped from Taiwan to my home in Calgary in less time than it took for me to get a pack of magic cards from Seattle. So uh, when returns and refunds go like that, it's it's pretty sweet. Didn't cost me anything. Um, you're probably going to have to explain quickly what magic cards are because people are going, what are magic cards? Oh, yeah. Mag- magic is a trading card game. And I uh, I ordered a special pack of five cards from the States and they are still not here. Card size, like deck of card size, roughly? Yeah, 100 cards. Yeah, 100 okay. cards. Yeah. Okay, there you yeah. go. So a Dungeons yeah. & Dragons card game play cards kind of yep. adjacent. Okay. Uh, that's cool. I mean, returns for me, I did have one of those ones that I bought on Amazon. Um, when you return it, you have to pay for the shipping. And um, lots of the returns are free, of course. But this one was one of the ones that was you know going back to China. And I was like, there's no way I'm getting my 15 bucks back. Because I sent it, um, it had to go to an address in the United States, and I sent it just with this basic ground snail mail, two bucks. I was like, nah, I'm not spending more money at the risk of not getting my money back. This is dumb. And I did send it, and I did. I got the return back. So when uh, I was surprised that it made it in time, but it did, and I got the money back. So that's cool. And so returns can be a pain in the butt. Returns can be awesome when they work out, but returning online isn't fun. Now, if you hate online returns, Uber has come up with an incredibly lazy solution for you. Well, you can use it to go somewhere or have your food delivered to your door. And now Uber will take your returns off your hands. Here's what's going on here. The rideshare giant adding a service that drops off e-commerce packages at a local post office, FedEx or UPS outpost for a $5 fee. Drivers can take up to five packages at a time as long as they are paid for and sealed. And Uber thinks many people will opt into it since so many dread online returns. Maybe you're one of them. According to a February study from the National Retail Federation, nearly half of consumers would prefer to sit in rush hour traffic than make a return via mail. Mm. We know how bad the traffic can be here. That's lazy. Although I have to say, uh, that's from 11 Alive, by the way. NRF reported in December that an average of 16.5% of retail sales are returned. Uber's newest tool aimed at tackling the problem part of Uber Connect, the company's existing service that lets Uber send items for day of local delivery. 
Now, customers can uh, call a courier to collect as many as five prepaid packages at a time, driven to the nearest uh, shipping venue, post office, FedEx, whatever. According to Uber, packages sent via Uber must be valued at under 100 bucks and weigh less than 30 pounds. Now, the, the, from a business perspective, though, this is absolute genius. It is. Uber, Uber has caught yeah. on to the fact that when they were driving people, I mean, they fought against the taxi companies, right? And the, oh my God, that's the best text ever. (laughs) Whoa. Returning Crocs are the best. (laughs) Oh, come on. Lay off the Crocs, man. I'm just trying to be comfortable and stylish. Let me have one or the other. So good. Uh, anyway, um, but Uber has realized that their biggest resource is the fact that they have people in cars moving. Yep. And so now you can get the liquor, you can get the food, you can do this. And they've also started to add, I don't know if you know this, car rentals. Yep. Now, they're not doing it like Turo, where you rent someone's private car, but you are you can do this. And you and I can do this today. We can go become an affiliate for a like budget or enterprise and we can have a website and post rent a car and make a little bit of money. You don't make a lot, but they've obviously gone and negotiated and they're leveraging the massive network to advertise uh, people's ability to get around or get stuff around, which I get that Uber. I find typically cheaper than the taxi. In fact, my Uber, I took to the airport to go to Ottawa. I knew I recognized the driver and it wasn't until we got to the airport and he asked me, he said, did you used to work at uh at Rogers TV station downtown. I was like, I did. And that's where I really recognized his name. His name is Leta. And, um, and I was like, that's where I know you from. And huh. so I recognized the guy. I hadn't seen him in like 10 years, man. It was really cool. So, um, but they, they realized that they know they can move people and move things and the cars are there. So why not go? It is ridiculously lazy. If you are getting them to ship your packages, just to take them from your house to the post office. Let's be honest. Canada Post is kind of all over the place. It's it's very very lazy. Although I will say this is amazing for somebody with disabilities or mobile mobility issues. The fact that yeah. you could have something like this taken care of by a pickup and drop off, that's fantastic. Well, as long but as you're not from, on a fixed income though, which is often common. In that yes, scenario. absolutely. But like, if I was to do this, come on. Like, for example, that new monitor I bought, that's my Good News Tuesday. I'm going to pick that up and take it home in an Uber because it's too heavy. I'm going to pick it up because it was cheaper to go pick it up and pay for a $10 cab than it is to pay for shipping within this city. Mm. So that is the cheaper option, not the lazier option. I could have done the lazier option. I was like, nah, I'll save the 15 bucks, put it towards a cheeseburger or another pair of Crocs. Yeah. Buy a lot of Crocs for a guy's complains about he doesn't have any money. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> um, are you okay with? Internet cats. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I have no problem with internet cats. They're very funny. Uh, I love the sounds they make. Cats make the weirdest noises on the planet. Uh, and I find the videos are the best way to enjoy cats because I don't really have a problem with cats as an animal. They just don't really like me generally. I usually get scratched or bit, or I just feel uncomfortable around cats, but enjoying them through a TikTok video or something shared on our Facebook page, for me, 
that's a great place for cats to be. I'll take it. Uh, they're mean. Although I did watch a video of a cat that loved watching boxing videos on TV. And in the, in the boxing videos, the guy was sort of ducking and weaving and ducking and weaving. And then they had a video of that same cat fighting with another cat because it was mean. And it was ducking and weaving like the guy from the boxing video. That was quite That's remarkable. Insane. But it also goes to show how evil they are. Just saying they want to fight for no reason. Uh, anyway, uh, th- there you go. Cats uh, cats and dogs are in eternal war for our ad- ad- atten- attention. Attention. Ah. Uh, attention. Which I One very chunky of. cat from Edmonton, though, is pudding. That's a typo. Uh, the cat's in the lead, and his name is Peach. Peaches, 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 peaches. Okay, you're going to need to explain that one. That's from the Mario movie. That's Jack Black, Peaches. It's his song for Princess Peach. It's like the, okay. one of the biggest songs of the year, biggest movie of the year. More surprised that you say that in a way that everybody watched the Mario movie. But uh, Peach is the Permaid, <laughs> weighing good. nearly 25 pounds, swims in an effort to lose weight. His owner started posting videos and pictures of her cat's weight loss journey on TikTok and was shocked when she gained about 33,000 followers within two weeks. And some of those videos, Peach's swimming has racked up millions of views. His weight has always been kind of higher. He's always been a big boy. So we took him to the vet, and it turned out that he was diabetic. So the vet asked if we could get his weight down by about two kilo. He's pretty calm when he's sitting on his platform. It's really just when he's having to physically move <laughs> that, that he objects. <laughs> so they kind of pick him up take him to one end and he swims to his platform and so they try and do that a couple times without break like I said to get his cardio up and then they'll let him relax a little bit it took him a little bit to get the hang of it like cats are pretty natural swimmers but he doesn't like it so he didn't want to do it uh okay the owner is the cat should try Ozempic really let's be honest (laughs) Both diabetic and overweight. Uh, The owner is optimistic Peaches will lose the weight the vet has suggested and is hopeful he may even be able to wean off his insulin. Uh, So there's an update to this story, by the way, because after I typed this up, Mm -hmm. Global did a full pack, a full news report on Peaches the cat. Uh, And I was curious. It's like, how many views was that first video at? Because when I wrote this story, it was at 2 million. Uh, right now, it's at 9.9 million views of that mm. very large, very chunky cat swimming in a pool. And it the video is funny because the cat makes direct eye contact with the, like the swim instructor. And you can tell it's just so s- upset, but it's too fat to do anything about it. It's, it's pretty adorable. But hey, working out. Peaches, peaches, peaches. All right. Uh, 877-399-9898. Before we go to break here, let's get some good news for Good News Tuesday. Frank's in Hamilton. Hey, Frankie. Did we lose Frank? Like, literally, as we we did. We literally went to Frank and he hung off. Frank. Frank. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> I guess that's it. <laughs> Are you okay with getting hung up on? 
We just get yeah, right? bitched on the radio. Although I have to tell you, I will never forget the story. Um, I'm sure. I hope Frank's okay. Um, the uh, there was a lady who phoned in. She was very very mad. I was filling in doing talk radio in Calgary on QR, and I was sort of new to this whole world. I'd done music radio, and I was sort of learning how this works. And I was filling in for Rob Breckenridge. And this lady calls in. She was very upset with me. Did not agree with what I said on the radio, and uh, she made my day because she hung up on me. Now, you know what we've lost the art of in this world? Slamming the phone down and hanging up on somebody. This lady had the old school phone, and she slammed it down landline style and missed the handset. And you heard slam, crunch, click, 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 click. (laughs) And I was so impressed. It made my day. Because I have not been hung up on where you could actually hear it as a hang up. Um, in so long, it was nostalgic almost. Mm. Anyway, uh, I was kind of like that with Frank. I hope you're okay, Frank. Uh, I hope uh, you could you had some family over for Thanksgiving. We did get that much info. Hey, Jono, that uh, he had some family over for Thanksgiving. That was his good news. Yeah, that was his good news. Yeah. Okay, good. Thanks, Frank, for sharing your good news. Sorry we didn't get to you in time before you had to go. This is the Shift Podcast. Alrighty, uh, two separate conversations that we're going to have here. And John, just so you know, I'm going to do this a little bit backwards. We're not going to do the intro yet. Uh, Greg Fish joins us from California. Um, although with all the traveling lately, I did have to look at your background to make sure you were in your office when I said that. Um, now, Greg, your, your folks were in Israel this weekend. Yeah. 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 Um, there's, you still have family there, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, are they okay? Did they get out okay? I'm um, just a yeah. Touch my my parents. Yeah, my parents uh, got out okay. They got out on the last flight out of Ben Gurion, which is the uh, airport in Tel Aviv. Uh, my family there is doing okay so far, but you know, it's uh, obviously it's a uh, you kind of you kind of white knuckle it because you're across the uh, basically across the world from them, so it's kind of just like. You want to do something to help them, but you mm-hmm. can't really do very much. I think that that's kind of the uh, the worst thing about conflicts like that, where you 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 want to help, you want to do something, but ultimately there's not really very much that you can do. Yeah, uh, scary. And family, um, I mean, that's a really small place. We created some comparisons here on the shift, and we chatted about it. Um, twenty, roughly twenty thousand square kilometers in Israel. Uh, British Columbia's nine hundred thousand, roughly. Um, to, to give context, PEI, the small little island in Canada, is a quarter the size of Israel. Israel is half the size of Nova Scotia. So it's a tiny little place. So I'm sure in Tel Aviv they were uh, seeing, because you can't not see the action. Basically, it's so small. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a joke in Israel. Why'd you buy a car that's this big? You make a wide turn, you're, you're right out of the country. So yeah. <laughs> it's just to give you an idea how, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The place The place is tiny. Um, and, but at the same time, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting and, and bizarre yeah. place. Yeah. Harrowing and, and so much history and so much beautiful. Well, I look forward to talking deeper about why you think it's a wonderful place. Um, another day we'll, uh, we'll leave that for now. It's good to know, but family too, so far, you know, is okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. so far, Anyways. so far, so good. So knock on wood is all I can say. Yeah, and don't um don't uh if you ever think that these things seem worlds away, don't forget that they uh they touch us here closely often um within arm's reach. So not to be um not to be forgotten. Okay, now let's do the Greg Fish thing cuz this is about to get weird. 
weird. It got very weird. I don't understand. Welcome to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. Okay, I have to make one joke about your family, though. Like, do you, like, when it call the Fish family, now we got the update of the Fish family, do you just call yourselves a school instead of a family? Ah, uh, that's actually a great idea. I'll, I'll bring that up <laughs> at the next family meeting. <laughs> Welcome to the School of Fish. Uh, very good. Uh, University of Fish. I like this. Okay, anyway, World of Weird Things. Uh, just so you know, it is worldofweirdthings.com. And you can go and get involved in all of this. Now, what Greg does is he shares these articles uh, at shiftheads.ca, and you can link them and you can read them. It's called a Substack. There are different kinds of versions. It's basically a blog. And the cool part about Substack is you can go and you can subscribe to it. There are more than one articles per week that are put on there. So we only scratch the proverbial weird surface of Greg Fish's brain. And you can get more of it, and you can link to all of that from shiftheads.ca on the Facebook group. This week's post that we're touching on, why aliens might just breathe hydrogen. Weird. Weird indeed, but very relevant. Allow me to explain. So we know that the universe has a lot of stuff in it, like a lot of stuff, like so much stuff. But what if I were to tell you that three out of four of all the atoms in the universe, all that lots and lots of stuff, are hydrogen. And that only one about, maybe actually just a little less, one out of 100 atoms are something other than hydrogen or helium. I believe you because I trust you, but I do not have evidence or uh, anything that is encyclopedia related to double check that. So I'm going to believe you. No, I wouldn't mislead you about the about something like that. But um, so where does so it is where particularly does particularly nerdy, right? Like that's there's no jokes there. When we get into the nerdy with fish, there is no joking around. No, sorry, that's I I gotta get serious because if I joke around too much, then I can slip into telling people something they don't that they believe is true, but actually isn't, and is just exaggeration. So that's why that's why I do that. That's why I do the good stuff. That's why I do the straight face for that. So it's radio, but good. Well, I mean, I do have the face for it, so that's why that's why I do it. Uh, but in but again, so in in um, when it comes to like, what does it have to do with life? For example, that we're we're inventorying all these different atoms in the universe and what's their quantity. Well, if life requires very rare atoms, very rare chemicals and molecules, then you can say, well, you know, we probably have a really difficult chance of finding life in the universe because it requires so many exotic things. So these concentrations of very exotic things are probably very rare. So life itself is probably very rare. But if it requires something very, very common, then we could say, oh, well, this stuff is everywhere. So technically, there should be lots of chances for life. So there should be a lot of life, which brings me back to hydrogen and helium. Hydrogen and helium, because they're everywhere, could very easily be in a lot of atmospheres of gas. They already are in a lot of atmospheres of gas giants, but they could also be in atmospheres of rocky worlds that are heavier than Earth, the so-called super-Earth. And you could have these thick blankets, and thick because uh, it's going to be less dense than air, of hydrogen and helium that would warm up the planet and would allow for liquid oceans on these large rocky worlds. And there should be 
um, the, the conditions for them are should be good enough for life in the eyes of many astronomers because it just kind of the models make sense the numbers make sense we have some candidate worlds that look like that with our detection and all the systems that we're using to find all these planets they even gave them a name hycean world combination of hydrogen and ocean but the one thing that they've been wondering about is well hold on a minute so this all sounds cool but can hydrogen do the same job as oxygen in living cells Okay. I'm following you. I feel like these are the essential pieces of so many aspects of everything to do with uh, life on Earth as we know it. Uh, who's to say, I guess it comes up for me that if H2O is the lifeblood of the world with our water, the hydrogen and oxygen, if we are right-handed, breathing oxygen, perhaps a different alien is left-handed and they've figured out how to survive on hydrogen. Is that fair? Yes, that's exactly where we're going with this. So water is a wonderful solvent because it allows for atoms and molecules to mix together and form bonds and perform chemical reactions and so on and so forth. So basically what you're looking for when you're looking for life is you're looking for a solvent first and foremost. So you now you know the chemical reactions can happen. But the thing is you now also have to figure out if life can create energy for itself. Now in our cells, we do it with oxygen and we use a molecule called ATP. And without ATP, we would just like we would just be a pile of goo. That's that's it. Like because we wouldn't have the energy for any of the cellular machinery. You know, the whole like mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Well, this is what the powerhouse runs on and produces. It runs on oxygen and it produces ATP. So then the question is. Hydrogen is a reactive gas. Can it be used in the synthesis of an energy molecule? And scientists did a bunch of experiments said, yes, it actually can. Because even though hydrogen is reactive, like oxygen, it doesn't, it's not toxic to living things. It doesn't react with the atoms of living things. Yes, you can set it on fire and it will burn just like oxygen, but in an atmosphere, of this high CN world, it would be moderated by helium. So just like there's oxygen in our atmosphere, but we light a match and the entire atmosphere doesn't set itself on fire, it would be the same thing on a high CN world. You could have a nice little fire. You can have energy for civilizations. There's also you see a lot of really exciting things coming together. All of a sudden, very quickly, we've built up all the basic building blocks of life. We've got carbon, we've got silicates, we've got metals, we've got our energy source. We got every, we got all these wonderful things ready to go on this planet that is kind of like Earth, but heavier and has more water. So far, so great. And even better, we have candidate worlds that we think very much fit all of these criteria. Except, except there's one really interesting and nasty caveat. And that caveat is that we don't know if these planets actually exist the way that we think we did, that that we think they do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, How do, okay. So then how do we get there? If we don't know, is it just fantasy or are we literally fantasizing? Because what I hear here, we were just talking about Lego before we got to this. As I hear the building blocks, the Lego of our lives that get us there with all of these gases and all these different things going on. And then somebody took all those Lego pieces, put them in a box, shook them up. We need to stop thinking that it only functions the way we say it functions. Yes. 
and so far and so far that is that is absolutely correct but the the the, the real catch is it's not we're not necessarily fantasizing we have data we have evidence we have observations but we don't have the full picture so what we need to do is that we need to run different simulations and we need to try and figure out how can all of these pieces fit together in a way that makes sense and then when we have these ideas of how these pieces fit together we go out and we observe more to try and fill in those estimated pieces, those conjectured pieces with more data. And then we can see which picture is more correct. So where we are with Hycean worlds is that they are heavier than Earth. Like that's the whole thing. They're more massive. So the reason why they need to be more massive is because these atmospheres of hydrogen and helium would be a lot less dense, as we've mentioned, they'd be 14 times less dense. So just to give you an idea of what it would be like is right now, if you were to climb Mount Everest, you are going to start running out of oxygen because of altitude sickness right. on, on a planet where you have the majority of the air being hydrogen and helium. This wouldn't be the case. You could, you would not have altitude sickness until you are basically up in high up in the stratosphere you wouldn't that's not something that that you'd ever have to worry about on top of that that atmosphere would be a lot thicker it would protect you from uh, a lot of solar radiation because it would be it would be it would go farther into space it would have more obstacles and more atoms for all that radiation to bump into like there's all these great things that have to happen but if you all of a sudden shrink the planet to the size of earth then you can't get as thick of an atmosphere and then you kind of back to these conditions where life could evolve but it would be a lot more difficult like the conditions would be would be more hostile there would be more radiation coming in there would be less available for energy intake and so on and so forth mm-hmm. but when you start adding mass to a planet there's a point at which it is not really going to hold itself together in the way that rocky planets do it's going to start breaking in and apart and try to fuse into itself, basically trying to crunch into itself because the the, the gravitational energy at its core is so great. That would mean that the crust of what would be the crust of the planet would be broken. And then by the gravitational interactions, as it's spinning around its solar system, as it's forming, it would attract even bigger, thicker blankets of hydrogen and helium and then it would grow into a Neptune-like gas giant that doesn't have a solid surface, that has a very dense, very hot core at its center. But other than that, there's really there's no like bodies of liquid water. There's not other places for life as mm-hmm. we know it to form. You might have microbes floating around in the atmosphere, but you wouldn't have these kind of idyllic conditions that we were talking around just now. And the sure issue we take is dirt and ground for granted. Yeah, we we really do. We really do. And okay. the the problem is that we're not exactly sure what that tipping point is because there's some studies that say you could go about eight to nine Earth masses and still maintain this rocky world. Yes, the the surface gravity would be pretty pretty nasty, like it would pretty much squish you uh, very solidly, but. If life evolves in these conditions, then life evolves in these conditions and it will know how to deal with it. Um, you probably wouldn't want to set foot there because it's going to mess up your joints forever. But <laughs> something that evolved on that planet from the very beginning would be just fine. Well, let me ask you a how, question about that. If you, if, 
if oxygen, and this is, I'm oversimplifying, but dance with me. If oxygen is sort of the heavier, closer to our surface, and uh, hydrogen is sort of the lighter that's and helium that's up higher, if these aliens weren't living on the hydrogen, couldn't they just live in higher places, or is that too simplistic? Like they would get, um, they would get the they would get hydrogen sick coming down from the mountain if we if it was like we know it. So. It really, it depends on a lot of factors. If you're talking about bacteria, then yes, like microorganisms. If you're talking about complex life, probably no, because complex life needs some sort of a surface. It needs more solvents. It can't just survive kind of like on these aerosols. The the conditions to maintain more complex life, multicellular life, um, animals, it, it really gets a lot more complicated. Uh, and you need to be closer to the actual resources and the resource circulation. Okay. So that's okay. that's kind of the limiting factor there. So okay. and and again, the other limiting factor then becomes if they need to be on the surface, if they need to actually have access to all of these pools of resources and pools of solvents that are sizable enough to sustain them. At what point does the planet basically collapse into itself and become? a gas giant and that's the part that we don't know because we have a candidate for a high sin world that we're trying to study right now um, that's about nine earth masses and some science says well at about four three or four earth masses it should start basically collapsing into a gas giant and it could actually be kind of like a mini neptune and not actually a world that would have oceans on it but on the other hand, some math says, well, about 9, 10, that's, that's the limit. So it should actually still be okay. So that's really where we are. We have this idea that there's this entire class of worlds out there that would be wonderful for life. That could be one of the, one of the best places that you can go to find living things, including complex living things. But the, but the issue is that we don't know what the limit is there because there's also the there's also the question that they need to be they they have to have that delicate balance between being big enough to attract that big thick atmosphere that's going to trap heat that's going to and because that's that's another part that that of the equation you know on earth we need to have enough heat to make sure that the water stays liquid because without some greenhouse gases in our atmosphere we would um and, and some ability to trap heat earth would kind of be a slush ball around freezing Mm-hmm. Now, if we go way too far, then we basically broil it, see Venus, uh, as, as a counterexample <laughs> to that, uh, because on paper, Venus should be absolutely fantastic, but it has so, so, so much more carbon. It has some, so we have, uh, right now, we have 412 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. I mean, it has something like 40,000. So there's like, okay. you, you, you gotta like, uh, you gotta, you gotta keep that in check. Just to, just a dab will do you for those. And then hydrogen and helium atmospheres, me. hydrogen and helium atmospheres are great absorbing heat and keeping it trapped, but not too much. So the world warms very nicely. But then again, if the, pla- if the blanket is too thin, you you kind of get away from that. So again, it, there has to be all these delicate balances, and that's why we're really trying to figure out with all of these planets, like what can realistically exist based on the data that we have. So what I take away from this, Greg Fish, two things: one, aliens are weird; two, just a lot easier to stay here on Earth and take care of it. That's what I hear 
Fair? Very fair. And I would add three. We take our life and how easy it is to live on this planet for granted. And we probably should stop doing that because the more we look in space, the more it becomes obvious that, you know, we're really lucky and we should just really respect that. Yeah, we've got it pretty good and convenient, I would say. If you want to learn more about this, you can link the article from shiftheads.ca on the Facebook group. Greg Fish is there. Also tag him in it, too. So if you want to say hi to Fishy, you can uh, do that. It's the world of weird things. And don't forget, it's not only a newsletter. It comes out uh, more than once a week. This is just one of the pieces that we talk about. Uh, the weird continues more than once, that's for sure. Greg Fish, please do pass on my best to uh, Mama and Papa Fish. All right? Absolutely. Will do. This is the Shift Podcast. We hear lots of stories about the ugly things that people go through when it comes to illness and treatments and all those things. I've seen, of course, in my family, lots of situations where you kind of wish things had been done differently in the world of health. And then we have the big C, the, the cancer. Um, you know, we get so it's so normal for us, cancer in our lives. We even get lazy in the way that we fundraise for it. Have you ever noticed that? That we get to the point where we actually say we're fundraising for cancer. And that is incredibly backwards in our intention. We're not fundraising for cancer. Obviously, we're fundraising for a cure. We're fundraising for treatments. We're doing all these things. It is so common in our lives, though, that we don't even need to be particular about the details. And that, to me, is telling. That to me helps me see that we need to speak about this differently. And I know that there are different ways to go about this. And, and this conversation is not to diminish the hard work of everybody who works their butt off every day to make sure everyone's comfortable and they're getting treatments and everything like that. Uh, politics inside health and all the different things. I mean, I have no problem uh, going after uh, those conversations for sure. But we do need to learn, and we do need to learn some new things. And this is where Louise Binder comes in in a conversation about uh, cancer and treatments. Louise, thanks for stepping in and spending time today. Thank you. So tell me how this started for you. I know that you have a colleague that went through a melanoma diagnosis, um, but how did how did this, uh, and I don't want to say alternative treatments, I, it's more precision and expansive treatments, which is ironic as I say that because it is um, both... Uh, more direct and uh, a bigger notion in general at the same time. Um, how did you get into this? I um, had been working in other areas of health. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my friends said to me, you know, we really need you in cancer. We really need your help uh, to deal with the barriers uh, that we were finding in getting medicines. Um, so I decided that I would come and help them. We've seen in the pandemic, Louise, um, we've seen what happens when everybody gets together and and works on common solutions. We we I think that what that leaves us with is the 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 idea that there's a lot more things possible than we're currently seeing. Again, not diminishing the current efforts, but once everyone starts to get on the same page, boy, things change quickly. And that's a lesson I think we need to take away from the pandemic. Um when we're looking at barriers, because you said the word barrier, when we're looking at barriers for cancer treatment, medications and all those bits, what's going on? So it used to be that 
didn't matter what kind of cancer you had. Basically, you got surgery, you got chemotherapy, you got radiation, and that was it. And if none of those worked, uh, that that was pretty much all the treatments we had. Recently, there's been some amazing innovations in treatments. And the amazing part is that they've discovered, first of all, that not every cancer should be treated the same, that they're, they're different. And also that actually, it's not about which kind of cancer you have, but it's what kind of they're called mutations. What 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 your blood looks like when we look at it. What do we find? And so what's happening is they they're targeting these therapies to the very m- mutation that is in your blood, and so it goes in there and it just kills that cancerous mutation. And of course, as you can imagine, that means we have to be tested everybody has to be tested and and all of that and then of course when it comes to really giving these people these drugs somebody has to pay for it and that's one of the biggest barriers that we're facing right now uh, we hear an awful lot in Canada about Canada being better for the price of pharmaceuticals than America is this something that's unique to only Canada um I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but uh, of the uh, of the 20 OECD countries, we're 19th in terms of the number of drugs that uh, have come into Canada. And uh, we, that shouldn't be the case. So it's, it, you know, the, the provinces have done a very smart thing. They've gotten together and they've created a negotiation table that has all of them there and and they negotiate the price actually behind the scenes with the pharmaceutical folks so they can negotiate very good prices for these drugs Mm -hmm. okay so uh, a couple of things there Uh, i'm just i'm feeling a little curious here louise so so when you say we're 19 out of 20 does that mean that on the list of available available drugs that maybe other countries are using we're 19th out of 20 for the different kinds of drugs we're using for, for well the different kinds of drugs that we're bringing in allowed to be bringing into our country and getting to our citizens okay so yeah. let's say uh if the number three country on the list is there um they're just bringing in more available options really exactly okay okay so the provinces are taking care of health care for the most like province's responsibility is healthcare. Now that doesn't leave the federal government off the hook, but the federal government regulates the pharmaceuticals if I understand that properly. So even if they are negotiating, I mean, it seems like a smart tactic to work together to, you know, buy in bulk, to put it simply. Um, Mm -hmm. That makes total sense, but they're not the ones that control what drugs can or cannot come in. Do I understand that right? No, you, no, you don't. And a lot of Canadians don't. Okay. Um, What the federal government promises is that you can get a doctor and you can get a hospital. What is not included in the federal government's jurisdiction are drugs. That's purely left to to the provinces. And the provinces make all the decisions about which drugs they want to reimburse and what conditions they want to put on them. And, uh, And unfortunately, you can imagine that creates a lot of problems and a lot of differences between one province and another. We even know of people who go from one province to another to live because the drug that they need isn't in the pro in their province, but it's next door to another province. Hmm. That shouldn't have to happen in Canada. No, I would agree. I didn't know that. So then the Canadian um, Food and Drug 
who approves what is acceptable for use in Canada? Is that still falling on the federal government or the provinces? No, that's the federal okay. government. Uh, through Health Canada, they look at a drug and they say, is it safe? Is it effective? And if it is, then you can sell it in Canada. Okay. So, I and I do, I'm not, I, I want to make sure I'm clear on this, Louise, because I think this part is integral. So the Canadian Food, uh, sorry, the Health Canada decides this is a safe drug for Canadians. Then the provinces decide we are going to use it or make it available or whatever it is inside our provinces. Am I understanding the hierarchy properly? That's exactly wow. right. Yeah. They decide whether the the term is that the, if there's value, enough value to this drug that they should put it on the public reimbursement system, perhaps rather than another drug, because obviously not all of them will get on. Right. Okay, so those are two obvious hurdles. The, if the Health Canada uh, says no, other countries are saying yes. That's obviously a limitation, uh, or vice versa. They have they're the gatekeepers, but at the same time, the economics, the ledger, if you will, um, falls in the provinces. But then we're also going to have insurance companies in there. Where do insurance companies come into that too? Because they must have their, forgive me, this is not your words, mine. Their dirty little mitts on this somewhere. In fact, they do. Um, for quite a while. Uh, buying private insurance really was important um, because they would fill in the gaps that the public plans weren't filling. But more recently, what we're seeing is that they're actually following the decisions that the public plans are following, and they're not paying for a lot of really expensive cancer drugs. Mm -hmm. Well, and it does get expensive because I know with my insurance plan, um, the group insurance at work, right? I mean, we, I think we do pretty well. They, they're better at other things, some things than others, as most group insurance plans are. But there's a big benefit if you go with generics versus going with brand names. That's pretty typical in today's insurance world. This is a situation where there are no generics of these drugs, I'm assuming. That's right. These are these are innovative drugs. They're they're really quite miraculous sometimes for people and change their lives entirely. Give them quality of life when they had no quality of life. And in some cases, as you mentioned, my girlfriend with melanoma, she was told she had six months to live. She got a targeted therapy, and ten years later, she's still here. Okay, uh, I think we understand some of the uh, basic hurdles, and now let's talk about that that targeted. Um, thing we've had some guests on in the past that do the custom full-on mrna dna patterning for treatments that are specifically like to your dna types of treatments are we talking about that needle precision or are we talking about sort of the grouping of those mutations that might work for three out of ten people that have melanoma well I mean, I'm not a doctor, but the way I hear it is that they're looking now, instead of looking at the kind of cancer you have, they're looking at the kind of mutations you have right. in your blood. And people in diff with different cancers can have exactly the same mutations, so the treatments will work in either of those cancers. Makes sense. Okay. Okay. So someday, so, you know, someday we're going to reach the point that you mentioned, though. Um, I just returned from a conference where a leading a scientist in the United States who's been working in cancer for decades uh, said that actually he believes that the future is a specific drug for your specific genetics. Yeah, we've had some guests on that do that. And um, it, it's remarkable some of the results they, they see. 
outrageously expensive, of course, because it's literally tailoring um, DNA research to you and only you. Maybe uh, your brother could benefit from it because they get a head start. Um, but that is a very lofty, lofty scenario. That's for sure. Um, so what does it look like, Louise, when, when you talk about your, your friend who has lived, you know, 10 years later, quality of life has changed. Obviously, uh, the sixth month was, um, you know, you'll never know if that was an erroneous diagnosis because of the treatment changed. But all we can do is look at what we do know, which is the result that your friend is still around. And we, when we look at that, when we remove these barriers, what does, what does that look like? Do you think for Canadians, if promises can remove these barriers and get on the same page, and if um, if we can just kind of get over that? I, I really think that we will save a lot of lives, and I think we'll create much better quality of life for people. One of the things I've never understood is why governments don't take into account that healthy people actually are better for the economy than sick people. So, you know, you pay at one way and you get it back in another and in a much better way and you have a much better economy and a much better and healthier workforce yeah i agree with that i um do you lose your do you lose your mind a little bit bang your head against the wall in this conversation i know that you you're very kind and i wish everyone could see your face because you have a very gentle kind face um the but this must be frustrating knowing that these kinds of scenarios are there. It sounds like a very detailed, needs a very detailed champion to get behind it on a large scale too, though. Is it frustrating? Oh, for sure. It's frustrating. I mean, we work at things for years before we get any policy changes from anybody. And uh, so, yeah, it's very frustrating. And the people who work directly with patients spend most of their time trying to find some place in the world where they can get a treatment for this patient. And, you know, it's sometimes the United States, sometimes it's another province, but they're literally spending all of their time one-on-one -on -one with patients trying to find somewhere where they can get treatments for them. That's, that's pretty frustrating. And we lose a lot of people in that process. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you that what I've seen in my family, I call it the three-day loop, is that you get a test, you wait three days, you get a result, but then you need another test, so you wait three more days, and before you know it, two weeks have gone by, you still don't have a diagnosis or know what's happening. So that in itself is problematic, let alone once you get to the treatment, right? And It's very much so. Yeah, and so I think the thing that I really gets me, Louise, is that you know, the whole USA notion, I mean, I get it. It's private healthcare. You can go buy whatever you want. You can take whatever risk you want. Uh, I understand that. But the, the thought that we as Canadians of all, all countries, we not only have to look around in our city to get consistent care. Getting a second opinion is one thing. I think that's probably good advice for anybody. But the fact that we have to sometimes shop around in order to get um, someone to listen to us in order to get through a queue in order to get, you know, to break through and get someone to hear us in our own community, let alone province to province, the way you're speaking of it, let alone the notion of going to another country. Um, these, these barriers, these hurdles are, are sort of written into it. I, I've taken the opinion anyway, that the, the design is broken. The design uh, needs to change. And I wish I had a solution. 
right? So what is this solution that you're talking about here with this more precision treatment? How do we, how do we have this conversation more often? How do we share this conversation? And how do people educate themselves? Well, actually, I think that the, the big problem is the way we fund medications and the way we actually the way we fund the whole health budget. So the way it's funded now, it, it's kind of sliced up into pies and each hospitals get X percentage of the of the money and doctors get Y percentage and drugs get, you know, another percentage. Instead, why don't they look at the patient and and ask what are the different things that this patient will need? Will will they need hospitalization? Will they need drugs? How often will they have to go to the doctor? And you actually budget by the population, it, rather than budgeting just a certain amount in each area. And once you run out of money in that area, you that's it for the year. Mm. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's, I guess it's a you know it's kind of a left to right, right to left scenario. Um a blanketed solution that throws a blanket over everybody or, or looking at, you know, the certain pockets. Cause I imagine that there are certain pockets of the country that have conditions that are more common than other ones. Um, oh, absolutely. Right? I mean, some, yes, some provinces have a far more aging population for different reasons. Um, and there are a lot of different, you know, a lot of different populations now within our country for sure. Yeah. It's fascinating. Is there a reference, Louise, that we can send everybody to so they can go learn a little bit more about this? Because, I mean, I would assume that having this conversation continue, have people take it to their MLAs and MPs is probably uh, a valuable thing. What, what do we do next? Well, I think they should write to their to their MPs and I think they should ask for um, meetings with them and I think they should ask them why they aren't doing something. If, uh, to your point earlier, if we can get things passed and into people's hands within six months because of a pandemic, I, I think cancer is a pandemic. You know, for every month that a person doesn't get diagnosed, their chances and treated, their chances of success are only go down between six and 13%. So it doesn't take very long before it, really the treatments are too late. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't help, I'm not big on more programs from the government personally. Um, but I can, I can tell you this, I'm not like free pharmaceuticals. We're not even talking about free pharmaceuticals. We're talking about access to pharmaceuticals. Um, but even free pharmaceuticals to me, a healthier, a healthier mind of all of Canadians gets us started in all this. But if free pharmaceuticals lighten the load on hospitals, then that also frees up more for more. And so I don't even know what my personal opinion is on that, but I can tell you that is we're not even there. We are only in the place of access to treatment, not necessarily, you know, at a fair price, I think it's probably a fair ball. Um, but, we're not even talking about a free pass for anybody here. We're just talking access. My understanding? That's right. Mm -hmm. We're just talking access. And we're talking the fact that uh, many provinces decide, no, this isn't worth putting on our plan, our public plans, and allowing people to get it from us. And then they really have little to fall back on because the private plans are following suit. So uh, really, they have nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. Are there, is there any data where people can find out if their province is good or bad at this? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, 
I would, no, I'm not sure with, if that's a good question. I just can't answer yeah. it. And that's, I don't ask I it get... expecting an answer, to be honest, but that's where I'm left with, right? It leaves me, and I, we have listeners all across the country, uh, people are going to want to know, right? Wait a second, is my, well, I mean... is my province one of the ones that I'm not going to get treated the way I feel like I should? Oh, well, you can find that out if, you know, you can get a list of the drugs that are reimbursed in your province. Mm -hmm. um, that's possible. And, you know, let's be honest, if you're a small province, you have a less less of an economic base. So you just can't give more to health care than and and uh, roads and education. It's just, you know, simple economics. And that's why it's very important that the, those gaps become filled in and not by the province that you know that can't afford it it should there should be a gap gaps filled so that everybody across this country has the same list of drugs that they can get and it should of course be the best list of drugs that they can get uh, louise binder it's save your skin foundation will direct everybody there to get started so they can learn more about what you guys are up to every day the conversation goes far beyond the skin um, but that's where you guys start from my understanding and um, i appreciate you taking the stand louise i think it's um it's important for us to be able to share that with people because until we declare it to be so we can't really expect anybody to realize what's happening a bit of a blind spot and i think that that's what we do today so thank you so much thank you thanks for listening to the shift podcast make sure you subscribe rate and review the show and share with anyone you like get it on apple podcast google podcast spotify and curiouscast.ca 